Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Malabaristas podcast with me, Marky J, and <laughs> Lilikoi Chaos, star of La Clique, Circus Oz, her own shows. She's a director, she's a militant feminist, she's the only ever guest of the Malabaristas podcast who we tried to do it on Skype when she was in Australia. The quality wasn't good enough, so she flew here. <laughs> Just for me. It's the type of commitment I shall demand of all my guests. Lil, how are you? <laughs> I'm so good, Mikey J. How are you? <laughs> we're good. So me and Lil had a few drinky winks last night, and now we're sipping a Barocca, and we're going to do an interview. That's right. What's the name of your show again? Can you say that slowly? The Malabaristas Podcast. Malabaristas. So essentially, juggler in Spanish. But I think it's a really nice word. It wouldn't alienate people because people hate the word juggling, don't they? And people hate juggling. There's general. already so many so- associations with it. So people come in going, oh, I don't, I don't like that. And exactly. I like it. It's, it kind of sounds like an evil coffee maker, you know. Doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, trust the Malabarista. The Malabarista. Yeah. And it means that, like, I can interview lots of different performers mm. as well so yeah it's cool i don't know whatever i think it's great i think yeah. it's a great name wicked thank you uh, as you were saying it so quickly though with your you know with your accent that i was like what is he saying <laughs> yeah i have this real thing where i don't know whether i'm gonna make my mexican wrestler character be like a northern mexican wrestler like i'm <laughs> adopted and raised in bolton <laughs> Lilikoi, question one. Who the hell are you? Uh, that's a really good question, Marky J. That's what I, I do. I am an Australian circus physical theatre performer. I do sideshow and comedy. I often try to infuse my work with some political ideas, but not from the place of standing on a soapbox and you know forcing my ideas down other people's throats. I like entertaining. Yeah, because I've seen your hoop routine without sounding critical. Maybe some of the political stuff would people might not even clock. That's right. Yeah, they so it could just be like, oh, this is a badass routine and I'm happy on a Friday night and I'm having a drink and having fun. That is um, 100% what I try to aim to do. I want people to have fun and enjoy it. And and if, it, if someone walks away and just goes, oh, I had fun or I enjoyed that, that's totally great. Um, some people have walked away and thought about my act and what I could potentially be saying with that. And I've gotten messages or had conversations afterwards and I really enjoy it when they notice the kind of deeper level that I'm aiming for. But yes, first and foremost, I want people to have fun. If in an ideal world, if you could, would you just do the political stuff? No. No, it's definitely both part. You you, want to always combine these two things. Yeah, I enjoy presenting ideas and kookiness uh, in a fun and palatable way, I guess. I think it's better than, I just think so many people have so many notions jammed down their throat all the time. I don't want to be another person like that. And and I do want people to sometimes think outside themselves, but I do want them to have fun as well. So I I probably wouldn't ever just do straight up political theatre. I want to do less and less, like in a super ideal world, it would just be rambling stories from me, but I have ne- I don't think I could ever do anything or enjoy anything that wasn't funny. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? There's no part of me that goes, I just want to be taken super seriously and just go around and do lectures. Like, I always want to be 
fighting the humor in something, but I don't know, maybe it's... it's I think even if you were doing a lecture, you'd find yeah, you'd find the funny in that. I just had an image of you just rambling on the street in the future, like, oh. what do you mean, just want to be rambling? Honestly, <laughs> Talking if, to pigeons. If I could get paid, like, an hourly rate for just standing on a box in the street and just chatting away, I would. It's... You probably could do that, it's called street theatre. Okay, so we know who you are, so I suppose let's just do some classics. Okay. Let's do first ever gig. Do you remember it? Is there a clear moment where you're like, that was the first Lilacoy gig? You may have been doing stuff with your mum since the womb. Yeah, so I was performing in the womb, I guess, and I was in my mum's street show as a kid, so I kind of did that quite a lot, Uh, so I was always on stage. My mum taught the Flying Fruit Fly Circus in Australia for years, and so um, there's an image of me, I think, at like four months old in a tutu getting walked out on stage, you know, to do the standing and hand trick. I could hang up a trapeze before I could walk. My first, I I don't really remember my first This Is Lily Coy gig because I always, I always performed. It was always a part of my life. I had this kind of on-off relationship with circus and theatre where I, because my mum had done it, you know, how do you rebel against a Hawaiian circus performer punk who helped start the contemporary circus movement? Like, how do you rebel? So I like worked really hard at school and studied political science and stuff. And I'd have moments of being like, I'm never going to do circus to being honest with myself and realizing that that is my largest passion in life and I wouldn't actually be able to turn away from it completely ever. So um, I was doing shows with my mum. I was in youth circus. I then uh, became part of this the first ever youth-run youth circus in Australia. So rather than it being a youth circus, circus that's run by adults and then the kids do it, we were all young oh, cool. teenagers and we ran it ourselves and we and I directed a couple of shows for that. And Literally the first in the whole continent that we, you know of. That I know of, yeah. Yeah, cool. I, yeah I know in... There's probably somewhere else, sure. but in Australia, in Melbourne and in Australia, yeah. we were kind of yeah. It was really exciting because it meant that we talked about what we wanted to talk about rather than people saying, "Oh, your kids, you should discuss this." We we did these shows. It was one of my first kind of directing things, and it was called When I Grow Up, and we won a few Fringe Awards for that, which was really great. A group called Fools Like Us, it was all adults apart from me, and so I was doing all of this kind of stuff at by fourteen, fifteen, and then I started a. Uh, another company called Opposable Thumbs when I was 17, which was a sideshow company. But for me, I really wanted to create work that wasn't stepping on the toes of predecessors in sideshow. So, you know, I loved the happy sideshow and I loved Jim Rose and all that kind of stuff. Uh, We created kind of like a theatrical way of presenting circus uh, sideshow, which has become quite popular now. But it had shock and it had beauty and it had uh, into personal relationships and all these kind of things and I think as we were young we were young I was like 17 I guess and being an outsider and there was all these kind of different notions that I wanted to infuse the show with and I was at Melbourne University studying culture and communications and doing another diploma as well then I started doing solo performance 16 or 17 I was already doing lots of kind of like solo cabaret spots. Yeah. If anyone asked, I was 18 when I was doing those solo <laughs> cabaret spots, not 16. <laughs> wow, it's, it's so good that you managed to get all this experience that you could use to start doing your solo stuff, but you were able to start your solo stuff early enough for it to be like, you know, you had a good, you had your 20s. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I spent my whole 20s just trying to get myself together. Yeah, I was now very hit lucky. 30, I'm like, <laughs> oh man, oh, I wish I was 20. Because now when someone says, you know, can you do a forward walkover, I can't, I can't even say no, but I reckon I can train it up kind of quick. Yeah, I yeah. I just have to say, 
No. No. I reckon you could do a Ford walkover. Maybe like an, you an know aerial cartwheel. You know what I'm saying, Like a 20-year-old who... <laughs> I mean, I think there's a real push, though. I know that when my mum started circus, she was in her... I think late 20s, early 30s. And, you know, a lot of people that did circus in the 70s weren't, you know, were in their 20s and 30s and it wasn't about the skill level. I feel there's a real push nowadays where, kids, you know, people are going, oh, I didn't do gymnastics my entire life. I probably shouldn't be a circus performer. But it's like actually, you know, there's so many other elements to contemporary circus and I do worry that sometimes we're going down this path of, you know, it's great to see the skills growing and growing and growing but that's you know not just what we're showing as well it's you know finding a balance between it being I guess a sport and it being performance and theater and stuff so sure yeah but I mean I guess I was very lucky I was um you know I'm still in my 20s so (laughs) but I was kind of being booked for cabarets and gigs when I was 16 and 17 and then touring by my okay I came and toured over in the UK when I was 18 and that's when I started kind of really developing that. So, and then I had a few years of that. And then by the, yeah, so by the time I was in my 20s, I was already pretty solid at what I was doing, which was, I was really lucky. Boom. And I worked really, I mean, I worked really hard for it as well and was hungry for it and wanted to do it. <laughs> so I'm thinking like maybe a Danish plumber. What? <laughs> How do you rebel against uh, Hawaiian? <laughs> oh, sorry, since you said that, half my brain has been sat there going, yeah, Lil's talking, I wonder how you would. And I came up with Danish plumber. Danish plumber. That's pretty far away. Born again Danish plumber. A born again Danish plumber who's super into sport ball. Yeah, <laughs> sport ball. Sport ball. So. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what I'll work on. So, and changing my nationality as well. I love that that came into it. That's how I rebel as I change my nationality too. Mom, I'm Danish. <laughs> Mom, I'm Danish now. I'm sorry. Lilikoi, you're not Danish. <laughs> How dare you, mother? <laughs> so, we've done the first gig, or the kind of this weird soft start that you had in terms of you were constantly gigging and choosing your own paths. The mm. idea of being a girl running a company, 14, you said you already had a few companies. Did you ever come up against like this cocktail of like ageism and sexism where you're like, what? Or was it like almost the gimmick and the selling point? Uh, I think, I mean, a lot of my work has been infused with notions about sexism and uh, and difference and la 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 and I think it is because I found it really interesting within the community and outside of the community the kind of sexism that comes in the form that's meant to be so um, free and liberal and so that I think that is something that I was always interested in I was also always interested in society's perception of circus and circus performers and then particularly of women that are in circus you know because there is that notion of other but then extreme other like you know freaks and outsider but Mm. then in a way we're a mirror to society and so I think what I found most difficult was within the industry people not wanting to show nepotism and therefore kind of being even harder on me which I mean meant I worked quite hard and it's probably really good for me but I remember being like why didn't I get picked for that thing or why haven't I been booked for that thing and and having directors and having um trainers go oh we would totally we totally would have gotten you totally would have given you that award you know any number of things like that but they're like but we didn't want it to look like nepotism I'm like that's not fair you know (laughs) so tricky and because the contemporary circus industry is so young, there it, it, it is really interesting to navigate that. I mean, trad circus has always kind of, it's been through the family, so there's been kind of deliberate nepotism, whereas mm. contemporary circus was, from what I know of it, I know that a lot, 
people tried to avoid that look so I had to work extra hard and so from the outside it may look like I kind of stepped into it but I feel like I was often giving given extra hurdles it's like to make sure so people weren't projecting positive discrimination onto you like oh obviously Lil always getting the roles because she's Hawaiian tick a girl tick 14 tick okay <laughs> my friend was once in a talent contest a circus performer and this was on like the middle of the day on radio a real mm. boring radio station and the radio DJ was like, so how do you fancy your chances? And he was like, I'm pretty confident. Unless you've got a kid behind that screen who plays a trumpet and has cancer. Oh. <laughs> and the DJ just dead air. Oh. <laughs> and I'm like, that was so strong. Wow, that is... It was wicked. I loved it. I was just like, wow. Because <laughs> there's this whole thing in England, like, you know, that's how you win a talent show. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just have, have, an ama- have a quirky backstory, have a weird trick. Anyway. <laughs> I didn't just compare you to a trumpet playing character. Yeah, I was about to say. Thank you. Moving on. <laughs> You're a Danish plumber. <laughs> be all you can be. Reach for the stars. Reach for the stars. Our next question then, Marky J. Let's see how we go. Next question. Next question. <laughs> funniest gig story. Funniest gig? Can be worst gig. Can be a completely new story that's your funniest. You're like, actually, yeah, there's that one. I'm going to tell you the one that I told you off mic again so you're just gonna it's a beauty you have to laugh along as if you've not heard it before wait, wait, wait. i've got i've been doing clowning actually that's what probably with my laugh is that everyone knows how loud and aggressively yeah. I laugh. Sometimes I see shows and I see people look at me when I'm not laughing, so I have to fake oh. my own laugh. So it seems like I'm just being neutral and showing. Like, <laughs> They're waiting for the little laugh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm such a chipper character that even if I pretend to do a fake laugh, that laugh will then make me laugh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so always followed by me giggling. So I'm like, ah, oh, might as well just laugh. Uh, <laughs> uh, worst gig was this time that I was performing at Spiegel Tent and I was running maybe a little bit late and had to park my car in an underground car park. I say my car was my mum's car, so this is even even more classy. Um, and this dude kind of zoomed in in front of me, so I had to put the brakes on quite quickly. And I backed into a brand new, I think it was a Ferrari. Really? This has been upgraded since the last time you told it. Maybe it was a BMW. I don't know. It was something like crazy, brand new, expensive. They rewended me, but, you know, obviously I got blamed for it. Brand new BMW. Uh, <laughs> these four blonde, tanned and very wealthy looking women jumped out and just started hysterically screaming at me. And, you know, Yeesh. And I was like, pre-gig. Yeah. Okay, and not only that, like, you know, trying to wrap it up because I'm already running late. So I'm like, I get that you're angry and, you know, it would be maybe nice if not all of you were shouting at me at once. <laughs> like, that would be really cool. But no, as you as you wish. And, like, there was barely even a scratch on it. And they just kept going on and on about how it was basically brand new and they got it, like, yesterday, this brand new BMW. And I was like, oh, okay. And it just kept going to the point where I eventually went, Look, I'm hearing a lot about your BMW, but I'm a little bit worried about my Hyundai XL Sprint. I think my mum will be quite sad that you've <laughs> left some of your red on my green car. This is a modern classic. <laughs> <laughs> That's wicked. Jokes did not go down well. 
Um, we exchanged insurance details, etc., etc. It took so long, and then I ran in to do this show, and I was kind of headlining with some great comedians. And I told them the story and they were laughing and, you know, wanted to mention it in their set. And I was like, yeah, go for it. And then I go to do my opening number and there in the front row are the four women that I've just um, had a little car crash with. And they are just throwing the most amazing stink eye in my direction, <laughs> like just incredible. And, you know, doing that thing where, you know, little kids pretend they can't see you and they're looking away and you're like, I'm right here. Like, I was on stage. They were in the front row, but somehow they they just couldn't see me. So I thought, oh, I'd be really, you know, really polite and send them some cocktails and a bottle of champagne and a little note so they can still enjoy the show. And they didn't drink them! And I'm like, oh, what? Yeah, I thought I was doing a really good job. And it was like this fairy floss, like these fancy cocktail champagne situations. And um, nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I did a kid's show for a Ferrari only the other day. And as soon as you see the Ferrari, you're like, ah, undercharged. (laughs) You know what I mean? The Ferrari's always a sign. I did that with a a cognac gig one time. I was in Jakarta and... I didn't realize the um, how expensive, the, uh, how good quality the cognac was, and I kept. I didn't want cognac pre. I didn't want cognac during the show. Yep. I was like, no, I just want a vodka. I just want a vodka, and they were like trying to put this cognac and give me this cognac. I was like, go away. It was worth like six hundred dollars. I was like, oh. that's it. Yeah, I am friends with a circus performer who dad works at the cognac factory in like southern France, and he's like, he has it in like plastic jugs, and it's just like it's like eight hundred quid's worth of cognac in there. Mm. But I try it and I'm like, I'm not having 800 pounds worth of fun right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm like, can I just have like a fancy mojito with like a sparkler in it? Yeah. You know what I mean? I'll have way more fun from like $10 worth of like sugar and booze. <laughs> like if you put it in a fancy glass, I don't know. Okay? You know, whatever. It's all good. But they stayed there so that every time I came on, they could give me stink eye. And then I had to like really beg the comedians to not make fun of them you know because i was like please don't mention it oh my goodness please like we haven't organized our insurance yet i don't know what they'll do maybe they'll get worse when they get into another crash and blame it on me oh my goodness you know so i just had to keep performing and then i was just kind of laughing by the end of it like i was performing and laughing and looking at them and like trying to give them extra winks and like just really try to get their attention to crash into your own audience (laughs) or they crashed into you that's pretty funny (laughs) yeah I hit an old lady's car on her way to a gig once. And like I was like, uh-oh, SpaghettiOs. She got in the car, I'm like... And I did the thing you're never meant to do. I was like, that was my fault. <laughs> and she was just like, oh, you seem like a nice guy. It's Christmas. Looked at the car. She's like, oh, it's not so bad. You know what? On your way, kid. Uh. Yeah, just let me off. I was like, that's a nice old lady. She just drove <laughs> off and I just carried on to the gig. And I literally, I hit her like eight metres from my door <laughs> and she's like I'm to the gig bang oh. <laughs> yeah a bit of a fail that's amazing that's amazing. your story worked out much better my story ended me with with me having to pay to replace the entire front of a BMW but when someone rear ends you they're always to blame because that's the only way the insurance what people can work it out no that's what i said but they were like oh she backed there was four of them against one they're like she backed into us and la 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 and i was like oh i'm like it's barely a scratch you look i'll get a sharpie i'll color it in for you i'll come over to your house i'll put a full like workman suit on yeah. and i just color in that one little scratch but no apparently they had to replace the entire front of the did car did you get the old one 
Oh, you should have asked. I that. demanded I like... it for like the the logo and the badge and everything. Ah, oh, the rich get richer. And then I could just like get, use some straps and put it over my shoulder and walk around going, exactly. <laughs> look at me. That could have been your walkabout act. <laughs> Here we go. I've made it now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, forget, Lil- forget my current projects. Lilica. Lilica. Come on, it writes itself. It writes That's itself. genius. Comedy pewter coming at you. I'm wasted on this podcast. Available for weddings, parties, and bar mitzvahs. So, who are you? You're a political entertainer, second gen circusy person. You've been doing this a while. You've had some fun gigs where some, once in a while you crash into your own audience. What's next? Like, what do you want to be next? Or is there something where you're like, you know what I really want to do? I really want to do an ice skating Chinese pole act. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Yeah. Let's do that. You and me, right? Yeah. And okay. I'd like to say... I'll base it. I've got no skill in either. Great. But <laughs> so much enthusiasm. <laughs> that's all that matters. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's a really good question. I just had a, a shoulder reconstruction and I had to sit down and think a little bit about what I'm going to do and, you know, where I'm at with my career and, you know, really kind of assessing that, which was intense, but also really awesome. I've been really lucky. I've worked with some companies that I absolutely adore and I've looked to as benchmarks for, you know, me and success and having fun. And, Thank you. And so that was... What, what I just thought you were talking about this. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> I have made it now that I'm on... I can't even remember the name of this show, Mark. What? I can't even remember. The Barista's podcast. <laughs> anyway, oh, yeah, the Evil Coffee Makers podcast. The Evil podcast. Coffee Makers podcast. Yes, yeah, so I've worked uh, performed for the clique. I've t- toured with the famous Spiegel tent. I just finished working with Circus Oz, which, you know, was such an honour. I had watched them my my entire life and had always looked forward to the day that I got to perform with them. So I did two years and now part of the history of that company, which makes me so profoundly happy. I've worked with Finney Kane and Smith, which is another incredible Australian circus company, and I've directed and produced my own shows and I've worked one-on-one with other artists. And, you know, I really love directing, bringing ideas to life. Uh, at the moment, I just, I'm in the UK because I did a, did a development um, with uh, an amazing circus performer, Emma Sargent, and an incredible musician, um, Carol Cates, also known as Lady Carol, and I was also working with Kim Chaos, who is my mother, as the outside eye. She was kind of like, I guess, the midwife for the show, so we were obviously wanting to direct, but it's really important to have someone there that is the dramaturg or the outside eye or who can confirm that you're going in the right direction or, you know, tell you to drop an idea when you've just been, like vlogging it so Kim was absolutely incredible and she's also got great skills building things and photoshop and la 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 so she kind of became the woman that did everything and and also made the space really good for us to create in so I just finished working on the development we had two weeks of development and then one week of pulling it all together to make a show and the show's called Red and it was looking at some general concepts of uh, voice, colour, obviously, and circus. And obviously then we were looking at what red means and red is such an important colour to humanity, I guess. I mean, there's all so many rituals where people people put, would put red on themselves, whether it was to do with war or fertility or um, any number of things like that. Obviously we didn't just throw red paint on ourselves, but we were kind of were thinking about rage and passion and 
romance and war and strength femininity while we were creating it and not creating a narrative show but having different sensations that um bled through mind the pun in different sections the red thing's interesting is like there's even like proper scientific proof that sports teams that wear red win more yeah, yeah and all um, more flags have red in them than any other color like there's just things where there's something about red that and it's got so many different meanings and so many different connotations and um, apparently it's the year, year of the red monkey so i'm red like let's, monkey, let's get yeah. amongst it uh, <laughs> and then the, you know there's all the fire and flame and femininity and blood Blood and I think blood's a big thing. With blood the red. is it's a really big thing, and it's a really big thing for women. And then you know, I was looking at red heels and what the connotations of that mean. You know, maybe as red a, heels, red lipstick. Yeah, red heels, red lipstick coming into womanhood. Like obviously, there were notions uh, of um, femininity and feminism within the show. But as I said earlier, I don't like to jam it down people's throats. I just like to allude to ideas and let people, you know, decide themselves. But yeah, so there was, we we have a bit of work with red heels and and movement and stuff because, you know, a pair of red heels to someone might be, they've seen this woman that's the most incredibly stunning woman and they want to be like that when they grow up or it might be a prostitute or, you know, they they might, or a woman coming home to seeing some red shoes out the front of her house and then kicked over, what does that mean? And so we're just kind of looking at different ideas of that and, um, playing with them I guess for me like a show like that is like the creation process like how do you avoid cliche yeah that's the real thing you know like you know how do you avoid just being a woman in a paddling pool full of menstrual blood flashing around going art art, art I art. am woman I am woman you know all these yeah. things right? well, it's, it's, it's like... really interesting because it's it is it's it, um it's quite a terrifying task you know You're like oh we've got an all-female show and the show's called red and and how to give it substance, but not not cliched substance. So it's it was a really it was a really intense development. I think it was also intense because um, Emma Sargent and myself have both had shoulder reconstructions in the last six months. So wow. we were trying to rediscover our form. You know, we're still healing. We're still unable to do what we're meant to be excellent at. And trying to figure out how to physicalize ideas and work together with a shoulder that we are guard like I was I know that I was guarding myself mm. so much um in the show I had a little like black wristband on the arm that has had the surgery as a reminder wow as a reminder and like Emma's tattoos are on the arm that she's had surgery on yeah. so it was just so that when we were in amongst it we wouldn't forget that that's actually there and because we got our surgeries three weeks apart we were one time making one day making a cup of tea and working together and both of us had our dominant arms operated on so we were left with our weak arms to work with and we created this kind of symbiotic relationship where we were helping each other through helping each other get dressed helping each other make a cup of tea and we're like oh there's some really interesting movement potential Mm. in that so doing that at the moment i've also done some video series things we're doing interviews and directing and producing and styling and all that kind of stuff i find the yeah the mental fallout from injury Plus circus is a really interesting one. It is, really isn't like it? That. I'm just I mean, it's personal experience and just finding all these <laughs> sides to it and seeing different circus performers go through different injuries. It's like wow, there's a lot that mm. happens there, mm. especially for the audience as well. Because you know, like who hasn't 
experienced injury and seeing someone who could do a spectacular thing in their journey to being less powerful the audience to more powerful and all these mm. all these levels and everything it's kind of cool there was a famous wrestler and he tried for like maybe 15 years to make it in the big time mm. and he was walking to the ring and, and he threw his shoulders up in exultation that he'd finally made it and blew his shoulder <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it is shoulder really reconstruction soldier surgery <laughs> nine months out and everything but literally his thing was just like I made it to the big time woof oh <sighs> It's the realisation that your friends and your universe and your world, although you do so many other things together, it is around this one, it's a round circus. And so when you injure yourself, you kind of, you lose your friendship group, you lose your travelling, you, you you lose being vivacious, the you know, amazing, talented person that can do things better than other people or whatever yeah. it is. And suddenly you're just brought very abruptly into reality and going, oh, wait, this isn't my job. This is my entire life and it's been ripped away from me and now I don't know who I am anymore and it's quite intense and I know a lot of performers that have been through it and it's interesting to see how other performers react to people that are injured there's a real it's almost like a fear of contagiousness you know and it's not and I don't think it's intentional and I don't think it's ever from a place of malice but it's one of those things that people go oh, you're injured, oh, okay, well, I'll see you when you're better, basically. It's yeah. almost like um, subconscious that they just kind of run away from you and it's not their fault. Like, I mean, sometimes sometimes when they're in the same towns, you're like, why aren't you hanging out with me? But you know, it's sometimes they're touring and they're doing shows and you can't ever blame them for that because you're not sure. going to expect them to stay with you. But it does feel sometimes that you just you are just expected to come back when it's all better. Come back and yeah, and don't talk about it in the meantime. Yeah, you know, so, I mean? just, you like, know. just keep that. You know, yeah, okay. Well, that's you out of the picture for a little while, and yeah. maybe do a funding application, and yeah, come back when you're rosy. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's and it's it's funny because unless you're in a major company there or you have really good insurance of your own, there isn't much of a safety net in within the circus nope. industry, which is quite you know it's ironic. Um, but it's it's kind of interesting because you go, I'm gonna do this wild, incredible, amazing, awe-inspiring things, and there and the whole thing is is it's the voyeurism of an audience wanting to see you maybe potentially injure yourself. Yeah. They don't know that, but there's this kind of yeah. thing of going, oh, what if you did it wrong? And then I'd see you fall from a few meters or whatever it is, or injure yourself. And then when you do actually injure yourself, it's like, oh, oh I didn't want to see that. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> For me, it was like in some ways it's like oh cool i'm really glad i was doing all this circusy stuff before i got hurt because i could i could i could do it then do you know what i mean it's not like you can i could have been working in an office got injured and gone ah now i can never be a circus performer (laughs) i had this really a really strong sense of that super sweet that i was doing it i wish Mm. i'd pushed myself physically even more beforehand Mm. to see how far i could have gone yeah totally luckily i got back on my feet really quickly literally but it was one of those that was like, oh, sweet. And no, I actually, because, yeah, you could just work in an office for 10 years going, oh, I wish I was doing circuits. And then you still injure yourself. When I was younger, I was just like, I don't want to do Pilates or yoga or any of that stuff. I do circus. That's enough physical exercise for me. And it's really, I wish I'd listened to, you know, it's kind of, it's really important to support because your body is what makes your living and as much as possible, like, I mean, there is always the potential of injury because youth will run out. <laughs> just, yeah, for me, just, like, in general, just your health is your wealth. Yeah. I'm in the gym and I see all the people that go to cardiac club. It's basically a club that you go to once you've had a heart attack. Mm. These guys are ruins and they look like they're in their 50s. And it's like, I don't care what you've got in your in the bank. Your quality of life must suck. Oh, you know, I even know if the- they're sat on 
a ton of money. It's just like, there's no shambling wrecks. It's just like, nah, I'd rather be poor and mobile. The importance of documenting as well. Like if you've just landed a double backflip or you've got your forward walkover, that mm. doesn't last forever. Mm. Document it, take a video of it, make an online video, do something. Because mm. there are tricks I can't do anymore. And I'm like, I'm so glad I've got them on film. That'd be a real thing I'd say to people. Yeah, and also to support your peers because there will probably will be a time that it is that you'll be injured and I'm so, not to sound you know, pessimistic or whatever but it's a, a basic fact that that's going to happen at yeah. some point probably you know and, we, and contemporary circus is a really young industry and we need to build solid foundations to support the people within it you know there's more and more people doing a circus and so there's more and more likelihood that you can get booked for something and then get cut and get replaced whereas you know earlier on in the 70s when contemporary circus started there was only a small pool of people to pull from and if you got injured you were probably more likely to get supported by your your, i guess your circus family and stuff like that um and we don't want to be um pieces of meat that are kind of thrown to the side like that there's a lot of industries arts industries that mistreat um their people and we as a young industry should not be one of those as well and we need to look at building solid foundations so one you know um acknowledging uh predecessors and what they've done for it you're not always gonna have you know you don't always have to go oh well this person did it before me but if you've learned from people or um gathered knowledge there are people that have done it before us and supporting them and also supporting your peers and creating good art you know it's kind of like we want to make this a sustainable industry i can really vouch at this point for equity yeah. Equity, the performers' union, when everyone else is just like, oh, you broke your leg, that sucks, you know. Most of my agents just disappeared and, you know, I couldn't yeah. work for them. Fair enough, yeah. that's not their job to look after me. Mm-hmm. Equity were there, you know, and mm. some people are getting their insurance just from a random insurance company that wouldn't care if you're actually injured, where Equity were like, free legal advice, money every week till I got better, all these amazing mm. things. This sounds like an advert, and I suppose it's purely just a... I had an amazing experience with them. Mm. They don't pay me any money to say this. Yeah. The union were there for me. And I think I would really recommend people to join that union. And on the same point, I don't know. I think we're very lucky in terms of the UK juggling community. We're a small enough group that I think we're very cohesive for a performance industry from top to bottom. Mm. You know, the the first year B-Tech juggler all the way up to someone like Steve Rawlins, Pete Matthews, whoever you think is towards the top of juggling, you know, some amazing UK juggler. We're all pretty tight. I think we're all constantly sending ideas both ways in our, because we're just a small little bubble. And so I'm really happy about that, but I can't speak for the rest of us. I know when I've worked with dancers and singers, how cutthroat that is. Mm -hmm. And that people are just clawing and biting over each other. And maybe it's a a number of people doing it versus roles. And we jugglers are lucky. Yeah. There aren't that many of us. And there's a decent amount of roles, so we can all be super happy. Doing that we were chatting way. about this last night over a few sherries, me and Lil, how it's the Australian companies often that you're watching in the UK. Like, when, <laughs> like to a certain level. Like we, The English performers do little one-off contracts here and there to an extent. And I know this is not the rule, but a lot of time, if you were to ask a member of the public that's, you know, maybe you're, you know, you're kind of your hipster 20 to 30-year-old they're either going to say, yeah, like, oh, I went to see Limbo or I went to see Velvet or I went to see Le Clique or La Soiree. There's, you know, we've got our own things. We've got No Fit State and The Invisibles over our end. 
But um, do you want to talk to me a little bit about the Australian circus scene? Why, why we're, why you're coming to us, and why you're finding it easy just to take the big <laughs> slots? You know, is this something that you've noticed, or is it vice versa? Is it in Australia everyone thinks No Fit State is the bomb? I don't know. I think No Fit State is awesome and an awesome circus, and I love a lot of their shows, and I have a really um, deep connection to them because I've been. I've known of them for a really long time. I think we just have kind of slightly different styles. I think we're quite isolated in Australia, and I think that's probably what is creating it. We're alone on the other side of the planet on this massive island continent country thing going on there. And we're... It doesn't even class as an island, it's so big. Yeah, it is. It is, it is an it's island. an island, right. which seems odd because it's massive. Yeah. Um, and particularly, you know, like I'm in Melbourne, so south, you know, really far away from everyone else and so when we're working we're always working towards the idea of like coming to London or coming to Europe or coming to the States and performing over here and we're always I know when I was doing it I want I've got to work really hard because I want to go to London and I want to go to Europe and I want to go to the States and I want to be I want to I want to fit in and I want to be good at it and I want to be respected in what I do and so we work quite hard on the other side of the planet and and then bring our sh- bring quite well formed shows over. Yeah. But I think maybe what that's is, what it is. What is allowing I, I think I said this exact thing to you last night. What's allowing Bruce to go from a group of guys to this together show? Like why aren't all the jugglers in Manchester getting together and making a briefs? That I know of, a, a big show hasn't come out of Manchester, and that's a big C. Birmingham, mm. that's a big C. Like, mm. is it, do you have a, there's a lot of creation spaces and a lot of places that you can show your work in Melbourne, or is there? No, there isn't. I think it's that thing again of working really hard to driven to make something because you want it to work overseas you want because you know i don't melbourne doesn't really have many cabaret venues left at all anymore they used to have a few sydney now has like basically a curfew where you're not allowed to drink after 10 o'clock or something like that you know like everything is just like shutting down around us and so we have to aim to go over there and we also have really incredible producers with really great eyes so you know there's um Brett Brett Haylock who produces La Soiree. There's Fez's um, Fez and Linda Catalano who do briefs are absolutely incredible and and they're also really loving and generous people. And we have we have Scott Maidman who's also really incredible and he does Limbo and mm. and all the kind of Stratton Fretch shows. So we have producers that are really onto it and also really good at showcasing highly skilled performers and and talent and also are really good at knowing what audiences like I think they've worked really hard for a really long time and and it's paying off now you know and they I think the performers in the UK are really great and there is a lot of potential for a really excellent show to come out of here and man for me it's the Maki J show is that what we're going <laughs> there's a guy called John Udry who wants to make Maki J and friends but um, great let's do that what a name for a cabaret <laughs> but it's just for me it's like we're, when we're sat around in Bristol it's like you know it would be me and Dave and all these people who have bought houses in Bristol we very much live in Bristol we're like man it would be sweet to be in La Clique or you know what I mean yeah, and we're not yeah. saying man it would be su- sweet to be in X UK company because we're like well those are the ones that go to the Udderbelly and have the nice shows and do the South Bank and everything like, yeah. we're thinking about getting two Australian companies gigging in, Engl- in England yeah I think it's like, <laughs> like 
I guess in a way it's probably, you probably have to do what Australians do, which is like, you know, my career started going well once I'd been doing a lot of stuff in London and, you know, throughout the UK and Europe. And then I came back to Australia and then I was given credit. It's probably the same thing that you guys need to come over and do shows over here, over in Australia and, you know, have people go, wow, they're amazing. And then you can come back to the UK and do the underbelly and all that kind of stuff. It's that thing where... Being the local guy, sometimes you're not... It's assumed you're not going to be that good. Exactly. Um, But if you're the international act, then you're probably assumed to be better. You remember you came to visit me in very rural Dorset in Swanage. I do remember that, yes. So this is a small place, mm. and without tooting my own horn, I'm quite good at Diablo. And then the local council booked a Diablo act from Bristol who came down <laughs> to perform. And I was sat there watching a Diablo act going, seriously? Come on! Right, and then it kind of hit, it hit yeah. me. I was just like, well, of course he's better than me because he's from Bristol. Yeah. And I'm just the, the guy who they see Diablo go on the beach. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, okay, so yeah, maybe. Well, you've given it away for free already. Shit. Yeah, you should have done it at the beach. Otherwise, they would have booked you and played you the sweet 50 quid they paid that person, probably. Man, think <laughs> of all the things I could have done with that. <laughs> Curses. Oh, well. But Diabloing's so cheap, I literally could have got. I could have got all the gear. It's not yeah. like any other prop. <laughs> you have thousands. Just, I'm sure there's lots of No, I mean, I don't want to say to you it's just because we're better than you. That would be... <laughs> No, but even if you were to say that, you could literally go, well, Nike's better than the UK circus schools and we're just better and therefore we, we just stroll into the, the slots. Like, I think UK circus are at a point now where we're like, eh, there's lots of performers, but, you know, eh, we don't really know what's going on. We gig here and there and French, you know, lots of French companies, they're very arty. Mm. The Australian companies seem to be super crowd-pleasing and kind of sexy and cool. Mm. And then the British performers are, were quite funny. Yeah. Oh, I wonder where it all fits. I don't know. I'm just. I think you guys it. just need to produce a few more shows that are, you know, that are utilizing the British, you know, British yeah. comedy and those things. You know, Australia has really worked on our style in the same way that the French have worked on their style in the same way that uh, the Canadians have worked on their style yeah. really clearly. And I think, you know, you guys are, are used. You know, we all come to London to perform and the UK to perform, and I, I reckon you guys can produce some really great I mean no fit state does that and so do the, the invisibles you really it is very much so amazing British circus and so much contemporary circus started so much contemporary circus started in the UK and there was a real kind of in the same way that circus was, was really like political circus there was a lot of kind of like political activism circus that was you know in conjunction with kind of punk movement and some really strong feminism and this kind of like in the 70s as well there was this kind of like gender ambiguity in a lot of the performance things and getting rid of the trad circus gender roles and you know mm. getting rid of you know high cut spangly costumes and stuff and now there's a really I you know what I like to do is I like to bring back those fun costumes but I still like to have interesting feminism behind it and I saw um yeah and then there's like flown as well they're they're good they're good I really enjoyed flown Mm. yeah I really enjoyed particularly Gwen did a monologue about being a female circus performer and the choices she's making she's like oh I might not get to have a kid Mm. that kind of creeped up on me while I was being a circus performer and other little bits like that I remember going up to her after going I just really want to say I enjoyed that monologue it was funny yeah it was funny and to me to go to a circus performer and a circus guy that was genuinely very funny yeah you know I don't say it very often I say other bits and pieces like that was impressive that was cool I like that bit that gave me a chuckle but like to say a full monologue was really funny was, was cool I remember the first monologue of a show called Underman. Do you know that show? No, I don't. Three big, burly, bearded basses. Like they... Timber or something. <laughs> Sounds like Timber. 
<laughs> yeah, but maybe that was their next show. Yeah, right, okay. That I'm, someone's going to be shouting at the, at the at the what they're listening to now. Yes, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I'll put it underneath. Um, <laughs> yeah, they all lost their flyer. They all were dating their flyer. They they the the hand to hand couples all disintegrated for one reason or another yeah. and then it's just three bases doing hand-to-hand together they yeah, do kettlebell correct. juggling and all this stuff and they have little monologues about how they lost their flyer and, amazing oh, that a, sounds great a good monologue in circus i'm like it was so good you know it's like they went to vegas and they gosh i love circus i love it so much i just yeah. i mean i guess it's one of those things i was saying this to you the other night because i find it really interesting there's this cynicism that comes in a lot of performers that have maybe been doing circus for a couple of years where they're like oh you know I don't like seeing this or I don't like seeing that I don't like you know I don't like aerials or I don't like tissue or I don't like jugglers or I don't like hula hoops and you know I'm so I've seen so many of those acts and I'm so over it and I find it really interesting because like I love it I love watching people do circus and I'm Mm. really and I've watched probably one if not 10 to 15 circus shows a week my entire life and if I can switch that cynicism off and enjoy a show and then you know obviously later if someone wants to ask my opinion from a kind of director's perspective I can definitely pull it apart if you want yeah but I think there's this thing where people to I don't know whether it's to show chops in it or whether it's to show you know that they've got more experience something where they just kind of are pulling it apart and putting it down and I just I don't know why can't you enjoy it like I love the whole gamut of it like seeing people play with the form and I think it's a really interesting time because most circus performers are afraid of using their voice I know I was I'm happy to MC, but anything to do with singing or anything like that just scares the bejesus out of me yeah any kind of like vocal thing that isn't me talking and I think there's a really interesting it's really interesting at the moment because performers are exploring we've had that kind of contemporary movement circus thing um and which i think is absolutely stunning and wonderful and we've got you know larrick and humor and we've got comedy and we've got really high skill level now and you know it's and infusing multimedia there's so, so many different elements to circus circus is so broad now it can be community circus mm. shows it can be soleil shows it can be like circus shows no if it's like it's a completely diverse and amazing and i just uh, it's absolutely incredible to see it i haven't reached your point of zen yet a lot of (laughs) a lot of circus i'm a bit like oh i'm really struggling to get through this but circus for me is this one thing is like when it works like Mm. oh for me i just have this joyous like moment where it all makes sense but yeah Maybe I need to try and yeah, find the joy in each piece. I think finding the joy is good. I mean, of course, I have cynical moments and I'm like, ah, yeah. oh my God. But there's other times, you know, I'm like, ah, why do your research? Someone did that last week. You know? Talking <laughs> about singing, have you seen the Silver Lining show? It's uh, lots of the graduates, they had a really good year at Circus Space, now the National Circus for, National Centre for Circus Arts, I think it's called. Um, and there, it was, you know, have you heard of the Bromance show? Lillian no. Barron? Ah, oh, they're two cool guys. And they mm. whooped me and Lars at uh, Circus Maximus, which is a competition a few years ago. And we were like stay friends. But they did a circus show. Um, and Tom Ball, this guy who was I like, knew to be a very good static trapeze guy, just comes out and sings. I'm like, say what? Like, Amazing. He was so good. I'm like, oh, come on. That's just, not fair. Exactly. <laughs> I'm like, F you, man. You young, talented. No, you can sing. And it was great. I was just like, I would have been happy for him to just sing. You know, yeah. I'd be like, oh, there you go. He was completely 
valid for me just to sing. So, on that note, who is awesome that we should be typing into YouTube? Who have you seen within the last year as like, that was the show, it was the Ukrainian Chinese pole clowns, or it was the Sicilian juggling duo. Like, have you seen someone who's just like, please give these guys some money. Please, someone book these guys. <laughs> well, my boyfriend Eamon is in the show Limbo. So um, he used to be in a band called Flap and he's a really incredible um, brass musician and he mm. plays the trumpet and um, but he's just become part of the show Limbo. And I, um, if you haven't seen that, Danique is one of the most incredible handstand performers I think I've seen. He's, you know, jumps and does one arms and he's got, and he... Uh, grew up in trad circus. He does it in like a prison, a prison of lights. It looks yeah, like behind bars. Okay, it's a really they've really done a great job with the lighting on that, and um, the effect is really stunning. And he's a great entertainer. So if you could see him do that, I also um, was very lucky to tour in Circus Oz with um, a really good friend of mine, Olivia Porter, and she's a great female juggler, and I think she's incredible. And you should look her up. She, I think she's one of the reasons, she's the reason that there's these young girls coming in that are doing ball juggling and doing interesting work with one ball and footwork yeah. and la la la. And she's got gr- a great quirky style. Her and, and Netta Oren. I'm going to yeah. share that credit. These two young girls. I want to see a, I want to see a, a female juggling troupe. Yeah. Just, I want to see 10 of them. Yeah. See what not? happens with that. Yeah, that'd be amazing. That'd be really fun. Let's see if we can get some funding for that. I'll, I'll direct it. <laughs> I guess I'm also really into the history, you know, I, I'm, I think the history of performers that have done it earlier. So, you know, like obviously I'm going to give my mum a shout out, Kim Chaos. And but I'm, is any of her stuff online? Can you go watch a Kim Chaos street show? No, I don't think so. I think you have to have conversations with a lot of people from that generation. You have yeah. to put the time in and have a conversation rather than just yeah. creepily watch them alone in your room. You know, I think that's it. I mean, I think it's really great to utilize YouTube, but I think it's also good to contact people or uh, read read up on them and stuff because there's some great performers that you won't find much footage of them and you just have to converse and I was talking to um, Kim about it because I did the show called The Living History of um, Burlesque with this incredible performer Imogen Kelly who was really great Uh, she won um, the Burlesque Hall of Fame which is like the World Burlesque Award, basically. And she did a show which was looking at... Because there's this, always this thing of looking overseas for the people that, you know, are your inspiration. And she did this show talking about how there was actually lots of really incredible Australian women in uh, throughout history that have been great burlesque performers and strippers. And then there was a, an element of circus in it. So we were kind of the living history of Australian circus. Mm. My mum got up and did an act which was really amazing and then we did a little talk and she said this great thing which is you know there's this it is quite a young person's industry where you know you and you are you're filled with these ideas and these skills and you want to explore it and you want to you know crash about and figure things out and you want to reinvent the wheel and you want to then you know break the wheel down completely and there are moments when you go there's she she said this she said sometimes you know there's an older person in the corner with gray hair and they're not just somebody's mum or yeah or something like that they're there for a reason and having a conversation with maybe try having a conversation with them and there are so many incredible circus performers that you can still learn so much from and i think it's important to utilize utilize our living resources i found it and i don't know if this is pointing out the obvious but an incredibly high hit rate of 
a positive experience when I've just said hello, even via email to circus performers. Yeah. You know, like even the top, top Diabolist or the top, top comedy juggler going, hey, I'm really at sea right now. I'm between contracts. I'm trying to put a show together. Hmm. What are you thinking about this bit of work and maybe attach a video or what would you do if you were me? And it's like, yeah, I find, yeah, some performers, like we all have a bit of time every day where we're bored before a gig and we check our emails. Hmm. And that, you know, it's just like, oh. It's interesting because, like, with Trad Circus, you had your community that you travelled with. I mean, all of us, obviously, are a little bit OCD because we have worked really, really, really hard, often just on one skill and have worked over and over and over and over again on our own for that. But also what Trad Circus had was community and contemporary circus has that as well but sometimes if you're a touring solo performer you don't have that as much you just go in you do one cabaret you leave you say hi to some of the cabaret performers that you've done other shows with but you're often just kind of you know schlepping it on your own I remember one time doing the London cabaret circuit and I'd just been doing cabaret after cabaret after cabaret after cabaret and I'd been taking the tube and I was carrying my 50 hoops and I was dragging a suitcase and I had a backpack and I was just struggling through and I remember like you know, people kept bumping into me and I remember eventually just getting bumped into the last time and I, and I cracked it, which I shouldn't have. This poor dude bumped into me and I'm like, I'm like the effing Michelin man here. You know, what, could you not see me? Could you not see me here? And then I lay down inside my hoops case and had a little cry. <laughs> oh, did you? Wow. And it's like, you know, because you're just slogging it on your own, like on your own a lot of the time. And and so, yeah, say hello to someone. And Sam, an 18-year-old juggler, Sam Goodburn, he's got his own underbelly show that he's going to do up in Edinburgh. He was saying how lonely he's finding doing this uh, individual circus gig stuff because he was mm. did a contract with NoFit State. He was doing trad circuses. Mm-hmm. It was just like, you get friends and you're right. If you are a jobbing juggler or a jogging circus act, mm-hmm. you collect acquaintances. Mm-hmm. Facebook people, people that might go, oh, great video if you post it, but like, yeah, yeah like they're not there when you get injured. They don't, they're not, they have, don't, they're not really invested in you in either way. You can't yeah. go. It's my birthday on Wednesday. Come for a drink. They're like, I live in London. You live in Bristol. Why would I get on a mega bus? What you know? Yeah, it's yeah. Always, so it's it's interesting. Yeah, we've lost. You a pick, bit of that. yeah, you pick up a few along the way. Um, and I think there is this thing where people go, we're a community. And then it's kind of, it, sometimes it doesn't feel very authentic, but it's still something that we say. Um, but I do believe often in the community and like, you know, don't take that as a... But yeah. I'm saying it's more about like uh, people I would class as friends and more the Bristol circus performers that maybe I never actually work with. Yeah. But I train with them. Yeah, yeah. And we party together and yeah. maybe they're part of a Bristol company, you know, something uh, aerial based that I've got nothing to do with, but like mm. they're my buds. So, so, yeah, because it's, you know, it's situational. And like yeah. you were saying, you were going around the, the cabarets and it's just like, just schlocking. Yeah, yeah, just doing it. You're just working hard and you are, you're on your own and it can be quite lonely unless you're in a company that you're touring with. I think a lot of us Brits are really jealous of in terms of when we see Le Clique or La Soiree and or Breeze, we go, man, I bet they have a fun time drinking afterwards or partying where we just do the gig and get out of there because it's just random party or something. It's, yeah. just want to get home. Whereas like yeah. you're in situ. Can I say we do? It's yeah. so fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I, I, I have, the boys are so much fun. They're so incredible. I've drunk with them. I've drunk with you guys. I've drunk with most of them. Like this is good. It's good, isn't this it? It's really sweet. And also, there's a kind of. I mean, I know with Le Clique, there's often a kind of shuffling of performers a little bit as well, and so you kind of 
you have people that you build friendships with, but then you also have new people coming in. And it's just like, you know, it's really nice to have a crew and it's yeah. really nice to have that um, sense of community when you're performing rather than just being isolated and, and doing your spot and then moving on to the next place to do your spot. So, Lil, any final thoughts? You, is there anything you want to plug? I suppose you plugged Red and that's your latest thing. Mm-hmm. Contact uh, Lil if you want to get directed by a badass female circus director. <laughs> That's something you're actively going for still, directing? Yeah, uh, I've been doing a little bit of uh, one-on-one work with people in Melbourne, uh, particularly when I had my shoulder reconstruction. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm really enjoying that at the moment. I'm doing kind of interview series. I've got a prototype out at the moment called Live with Lily Koi, but it looks like Live with Lily Koi or Live with Lily Koi, so maybe that will have to be shifted. <laughs> <laughs> I was on a lot of painkillers post-op when I made that. So I was like, that's perfect! (laughs) And it's like this kind of quite, um, I wanted it to be really kitschy and playful, which was fun. So just look for Lilikoi's name when you're like flicking through fringe brochures around the world. (laughs) And if you see her name, I would definitely recommend her. Not just because she's sat next to me. She's normally pretty fucking good. (laughs) Thanks, Lil. Thanks, Marky. And um, we're going to go and chill for a bit and uh, hope you enjoyed this episode of the Malabristas podcast. As always, I am looking for a nerd to help me with the technical side, someone who knows about sound and podcasts and feeds and everything else like that. If you want to sponsor the show, I can swear way less. That'd be super sweet. And apart from that, yeah, I'll see you next time. <laughs> oh, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. You're awesome. Bye. <laughs> Welcome to the hard When you wanna buzz, when you wanna buzz Welcome to the heart